podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome. I'm Les Bukka and you're listening to Accidental Podcast or something like that. Today I have a pleasure talking to Tracy Radley uh, from Kuroten Practical Karate. Um, Tracy is running that club. She's a head instructor, I believe. Um, yeah. So we're going to try to pick her brain how it is from the running the club from a uh, uh, lady's point of view. Hello, Tracy. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How about you? I'm very good, thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk to other martial artists. Um, could you give us some pre, uh, uh, your story starting? How did you start martial arts? Um, a bit about you. Okay, yeah. So um, I've been training for about 22 years. Um, when I was a child, um, my parents both did karate. I think they stopped when I was very young, sort of toddler age. Um, but my dad taught me a little bit of karate while I was growing up. I was bullied at school. And he, he gave me a little bit of insight into the martial arts. Um, so when I got to 16, I, uh, and I started a part-time job and had a bit of my own money, I joined, joined the dojo. And it all, or the karate all started, started from there, really. Um, at that time, I thought I wanted to join the police and become a police officer. So at 16, I was like, this would be something really good to do. I ended up not embarking on that. And I actually ended up working, uh, I still worked in local government. I went down the media world, uh, making films um, and uh, like local uh, corporate films and you know uh, public information films like Say No Tonight, that kind of thing. Um, I did that for some time until I had my children, um, and then I became a photographer. But all the way through, I've had the martial arts. I've trained, literally, uh, been trained within several different clubs now. And, uh, and then during this lockdown, unfortunately, I lost my photography business and mm. thought, you know what? I've always wanted to open my own club. Let's just go for it. So, um, yeah, and I did. Awesome, awesome. Um, so uh, you said your dad um, sent you to be a karate. Is that how it started or did you just went because they called you to go and then return? No, no. So, no, <laughs> so um, yeah, he just taught me a little bit at home from a very young age. Um, and that was that was sort of it, but I always had it in my mind and I'd always wanted to do it. Um, so yeah, I just decided at 16, like, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and, and went and tried and did it off, you know, like I think my parents dropped me off on the first day and then that was it. And I, um, yeah, I, I did it off of my own back, my money, and I've always just stuck at it no matter what. It's been the one consistency throughout my whole life, no matter what's happened. You know, I've trained, I've, I've, I've got a joint condition, I've had, I've had several knee operations, um, I've trained throughout, I've trained pregnant, I've trained with a baby in my arms, teaching. <laughs> I've literally trained, no matter what I've trained. Uh, awesome. Uh, why karate? Why not something else? Probably just because of everything that my dad told me, really. So my dad was, uh, he trained in Shotokan. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, yeah, because of that, that, that sparked the interest. Um, my first club that I was in was actually more of a sport-type party, and they kind of amalgamated water room and kickboxing. So mm -hmm. I had, like, an insight into that. 
I have looked at other things and I have dabbled in other things because I didn't want to be too isolated. So I've, I've had a little look and I've been to some different classes. Not to have it join clubs, but it's always good to, um, to keep your options open and, and be open to other styles. So how did you, uh, a bit different question, uh, how did you transition to um, practical karate? Ah, okay. So um, I started with the, the more of the sport type karate, um, and then I moved into, I moved house, um, I've got my own house, obviously I was a teenager when I started, moved away. So then I started doing uh, Wadaroo. And I did that for um, 13 years, which was great. And, you know, I learned a lot. Um, I did my band grade within Waterloo. Uh, and we were doing a lot of competitions and things. Again, which is great, it has a place. But I just got to the stage where I just thought, I'm really interested in the practical aspects. I want, I want, I want to find out more. I started watching uh, videos of Ian Abernethy. And thinking, wow, you know, I really, this is really interesting. I really want to know more. Um, and I went along to uh, Kiwi Practical Party, and I was in uh, one of Ian's seminars. And I just was like, wow, I, I, I need more of this. This is what I want to learn. So I, it was a big step because I've been with that club for 13 years. But I was like, no, I think this is where my journey's going. So I moved over to Kiwi and went to train with them um, and just teaching for them as well. Um, and then started going to seminars of Ian's and uh, Christian Biederbart, um, and then I've done some training in Jamie Club as well, and just sort of opened my opened my eyes. Um, yeah. So how long? How about you? How about me? Um, I kind of always been yeah. practical because my my teacher always was doing kind of practical stuff. I didn't know it's something like like practical karate. We just done karate, so. Only when I moved to UK, I realized, oh, people call that practical karate. So um, I'm kind of <laughs> always been in that situation. I've never been in a sports karate. Well, that's not true. Um, the part of our club was a knockdown competition part, so kind of keep pushing away, the full contact and stuff. But uh, yeah, I've well, kind of always been in it. But I just only learned that it existed here. <laughs> so um, you are an instructor, you are the coach. Um, how long it took you to become an instructor because you're kind of a novelty you and mary stevens are novelty in the karate world there's not many female instructors um which is kind of puzzling because i thought i would thought there were more ladies doing that stuff um so what do you start? how did you become the instructor okay so for my first club um i got to about a third year fourth year i started helping teaching the warm-ups helping teaching the kids, doing a little bit of teaching. Then when I transferred over to the Waterloo Club, um, because it was a slightly different style, I wore a white belt for a year and waited for them to assess me within their club, and they assessed me to fourth key within their club. Once I got to about third key, I started teaching for them, and then um, when the instructor was on holiday and things, I started taking their clubs for them, started doing the lessons. Um, for a couple of years, I helped run a club local to my area. There was me another downgrade under the chief instructor, but we ran that together for a couple of years until I had my son. Then it became a little trickier to do that because obviously I had a baby, um, and it was it was just I was training, but it was too tricky. Um, and then I just carried on teaching for them. Um, yeah, so teaching every week, um, joining and teaching the lessons. Then when I moved over to Kiwi, I um, offered my services there. I said, you know, I'm quite happy to teach. I enjoy teaching. Uh, you can learn 
so much from teaching. You don't really know something until yeah. you teach it. Once you teach it, then you know if someone asks you a question, you're like, oh, I've never thought of that. And they might be four years old and they ask you something and you're like, wow, wow, I don't know. So I think teaching is great. Um, so, but going out on my own is, has been a big step. It, it's having that confidence to do it. But you know what? I've been teaching for 13 years. I'm at my new club, uh, Coloting. Um, it's it's obviously it is new for me at the moment. I've just done my first month of, of me being the chief instructor. And it's the the butt rest with me. And how do I want to teach this? You know, I know four or five different ways of doing this kata, but which way am I going to teach it? And um, so it, it's a massive learning curve. And I've got so much more to learn, but I'm loving it. It's, it's great. Was that was it a difficult transition um, from the, being an instructor for a sports karate club? To becoming a uh, practical karate exponent. Oh yeah, it was uh, obviously I was training as well, so I was obviously trying to learn the practice side of things and the teaching. Um, and it, it does take a while. Um, during all of this as well, I forgot to mention I also just to top my training up because I have to train enough each week. Yeah. Um, I joined the Shotokan club for a couple of years just to, just so that I could keep my training up. I was interested as well because. I wanted to know what shape Kankatas were like. I wanted to understand more about that and how that compared to what it is. Uh, and the same with the, uh, the practical side of things. So now when, I, when I'm training and teaching, sometimes the, the shape can pops up in my Wado Katas or sometimes a bit of competition stuff. Um, it's all sort of amalgamated and I have to try and separate it. So yeah, you can't. But I, I explain to my students, you know what? Sometimes it's, a bit about making the karate fit the student and not the student fit the karate and that's what it's about you know not everybody's the same and i'm a firm believer everyone should be able to train um i have a, a few people um in my club with various disabilities i myself have a joint condition um it doesn't matter we just find a way for it to work for them and that and that that that's kind of my philosophy really uh, brilliant. I, I had the same problem with my wife. My wife um, is trained in Aikido, Judo, Kung Fu and Karate. But I, she tries to do the same with you, keeping everything separate. Uh, my view is bring it all together and make your own. So <laughs> get those girls, keep everything in the middle and make it your own. Uh, it's going to be working better. And don't worry if it's that Shotokan does it. Does, you know. We've got a guy in Shotokan, from Shotokan in another club now. And yesterday we had a conversation because he just asked me, oh, I would like to do some more Shotokan Kata because we've got only a couple of those. And so why don't you do it on the side? We do ours, you do ours, you do yours. Um, so and, and eventually we agreed that next week is going to be teaching a Shotokan Katas, you know. It's something different, something new for students, so they can evolve on that. Uh, you mentioned yeah. adaptation and uh, disability students. That's something which resonates with me because I've got the disability students in mind. How do you go about it? What's your recipe for success? Pardon? Sorry, I missed that one. <laughs> What's your recipe for success with the students, the disability students? Okay, so, okay, so um, I'll give you an example. I have a, I have a few students with various um, disabilities, but I have a, a student who's a wheelchair user. Um, and for me, I have never taught anybody who uses a wheelchair. So I was thinking, okay, I, I, his parents said to me, would it be possible? Is this something that could work? And I said, well, I don't see the reason why not. It's not something I've done, but with the practical element of it, it's important for everybody, 
to have an understanding of the self-protection side of things, of how to protect themselves. So, so right, let's research this. Let's let's try and find out. I feel I'm in a group, um, the tribe of a group of instructors from actually I think all over the all over the country, all over I think Northern Ireland as well. And I, I said to them, look, has anyone got any experience? And um, I contacted various people, really uh, world-class instructors, and said, help. Um, and I also uh, asked the family if I could borrow a wheelchair to have a look to see, well, what's it like teaching from that, what's it like training from that position? Because once you sit down and you take your feet off the floor and you're not grounded, well, okay, how does this work? And do I want to teach, if I was teaching Kata, do I want to teach him in the same way that just to make it look like um, what an able-bodied person would be able to do, or no, let's make it more functional. So actually figuring this out and working out what, what is functional party from that position, what would actually work, not make it just look the same shape it needs to work. Mm. Well, yeah, I love it when I've seen it on your, on your Facebook page that you actually done yourself the training in a wheelchair, and I thought that's a perfect example of karate being functional and practical, because you're dealing yeah. with the, with the function of the wheelchair and a practical approach to that training. I've got a few students who have to use chairs, so it's kind of the um, same, but they cannot move with the chair, but they cannot move um, freely on the legs. So, so I, can, um, I can relate to that quite highly. Um, but it's great when it's more, more people doing. Pardon? You're sitting down. Do you sit down when you're teaching them, when you sit down as well? Uh, no, because I've got mixed um, people. I demonstrate how to do it on a chair. Uh, so I don't, okay. yeah, as you, I've seen how it is, what we can do and how we can do. Uh, but no, because I've got other students who are more mobile in the same class. So I have okay. to balance uh, between. So sometimes I'll be sitting or I'm not moving and stuff. Um, but yeah, make it work. You know, I think, I think the key to it is to communicate. Because nobody else can tell you the best what they feel and how they are, the person who is in that position. So, yeah, I think I think you're doing a great job. Um, okay, let's try to see what was the biggest obstacle in your journey as a female instructor. Did you have the problem with because you're a lady, you're, you're not strong enough, not, I don't know, whatever, whatever excuse people got. <laughs> okay, so being a woman in martial arts, um, there's challenges, and challenges for everybody. Um, the things that you come across, um, for example, when you're a teenager, uh, when I was in sports karate, um, there wasn't any other girls training of my age. There was kids, little kids, but there's no teenage girls, there's no women training. So when I was in Kyoto, well, who are you going to fight? Oh, well, you have to fight the teenage boys. You might be older than the teenage boys, but you're about that size, go and fight them. And the teenage lads might not necessarily have the control as yet. Um, and then when you get uh, a bit older, um, you're standing there and everyone, you're the only woman, and you could be in a dojo of 30, 40 guys, and they say, put up! And you're standing there looking around going, oh, my own, no one wants to put up with me. So you end up having to prove yourself, and yeah, I can do this. And if you take a knock, you don't show any pain, you get straight back up again and you carry on because you feel like if you show any pain or you show anything, I can't take that, then that's it, they won't want to pair up with you. Um, so you just you just keep going, no matter what happens, you just pick yourself back up and, and keep going. Um, I think as well, 
it, it's tricky um, for me for uh, them pregnant and trying to train and teach whilst pregnant. Obviously, all during that time, you can't graze. So you're, you, you, you stay staggered and you watch other people overtake you. Um, some women obviously stop doing any contact in their time as well. So that could progress. So you get held back. And then you have a baby, and then all of a sudden, like if you're a breastfeeding mum, you're like, well, that class, it, it's the same time as the baby's feet, so what do I do? And can I take the baby to class? And I have done it once. I did do it. I helped teach a class with the baby moms because the instructor was de desperate. Um, but you just have to try and work around it. And it has it has been on schools like that. Um, you've, I've had... I've been teaching a class and you have male students talk over you and just try and sort of shout you down or even someone knew that, why would you know about this? Um, so you end up thinking, okay, you, you listen. I always listen to what people have to say because you can learn something from absolutely everybody. Listen and say, okay, I hear you, but this is my perspective. And sometimes you have to really say, no, um, this is what we're doing and this is why. Uh, or guys even outstrengthening you. So you're trying to, to train with them and you've got the technique you're supposed to be doing and they're much stronger than you. I'm, I'm really, really small. You know, I'm like a UK size six. So most people, even women, tend to be bigger than me. They'll outstrengthen you and say, no, no, it's not working. And you're like, well, I know the technique works, but I don't want to put the pressure on a this hurting you or give you a softener to make it work. So it's working around all like that really and establishing that that respect for yourself within a day day mm. it, it must be difficult I, I, my club always my even if i was teaching in poland my clubs are female dominated i don't know why i've got more guys than everywhere i go i don't know <laughs> maybe, because, maybe because i'm tiny so the women women feel like more safer with me and the guys don't want to train because he's shorty um yeah oh. <laughs> <laughs> relate to your size size wise because i'm always the smallest one around um but yeah so uh, we never had uh, i never experienced um women being belittled at least in my surroundings because it's kind of natural for me that the big part of my club is the girls and to be honest some of the girls who are training with me it's it, they, they rip you to shreds <laughs> so very aggressive, very aggressive. <laughs> um, now I enjoy it. Uh, I promote it, uh, as a lot of you know. Um, and I think that um, it should be all equal. But I hope it's uh, that's why I'm doing this series as well to bring more attention. That you know, there are ladies there who are doing an amazing job, and uh, there are no worse than any other person. Um, but from the point of view of an instructor, when you're going out for seminars and stuff, do people give you a strange looks? Does it agree with you because you're an instructor now? Um, you're doing the practical karate. Is that they trying to still uh, kind of um, belittle you because you're a woman? I know you're with a tribe. I know they're great people. So you probably now don't experience that much because that group and Ian's group as well is, is really, really promoting people and everybody get the good feedback and push up. Um, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Um, I think for me, so with, in, with instructors and training partners, you know, I, I, I believe, you know, people um, are fine, you know, have got the respect, we, we train, it's okay, I respect others, others respect me. Um, of course, you get new people coming off the street into the club, you know, people you don't know. Um, sometimes they will look at me. <laughs> 
really and if, if, if i'm talking just generally and you know i'm not in a gi and we're out and someone talks martial arts and you look at you okay and you mean sometimes if you're training contact things happen you get hurt i had a couple of black eyes and a broken nose not long ago um and being male people look at me oh, what have they been up to there's a woman it's like oh my gosh what have you done you know, <laughs> it's completely it things happen it's training very not very often but sometimes things happen. Sometimes, you know, if I've been grappling, I might have bruises all down my arms. Yeah. Um, and the looks that you get, it's like, why, why is that? And um, you have to explain. And sometimes, but I just think, well, this is me. This is what I do. Um, I'm quite happy to explain it. And, you know, accidents don't very ha often happen. Yeah. Often happen. Um, but if I was doing football or rugby or ice skating, I could fall over and get injured. <laughs> you know, th things happen. Um, and so you can get looks from that. But you will get um, people try. Um, you'll get normally, I've had it that I've been training with guys and they will try to, um, you know, they don't like it if you start to win. And they will, I've been pinned on the floor and all sorts of things. And it's, it's working out whether you can verbalise that or getting out and proving yourself. But on the whole, you know, martial artists, it's fine. It's just when you get new people in who might not have the respect yet, that's when you tend to have more difficulty. Yeah, if the punch is thrown, we respect this punch, punch into people. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> but um, you know, you think that once people are trained, they understand, but yeah. not everybody's like that, and you never know who's going to walk through those doors. Um, you're a little bit more so now with all the COVID reds, you have to know who's going to be in your dojo, so at least, yeah, uh, yeah. At least if you want to book, you know who's going to be there. Um, so how how was the starting the club in the middle of the lockdown? Wow. Well, I kind of thought I started it. I, I have put the idea together when I realised my photography business was no more, and I had to make a big decision. It was huge. It was like, what do I do? And I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. Um, and I thought, oh, I think it was probably maybe March, April time. I know, I'll start September. By September, we won't be social distancing anymore. September's a really good time to start a club because kids are going back to school. Um, so for children, you'll get a really good influx. January's a really good time to start an adult club. So I hope, hope to open more in January because New Year's resolution. But starting lockdown, it did give me the time, although I was obviously teaching two children homeschool. At the same time, I was like, right, okay, I need a name. And when I came up to the name for my club, I was like, I want something that's personal and something that means something to me. So I had time to be able to think about that and, and what was I going to call it? And then uh, work out, you know, what was I going to teach and uh, put everything together, you know, start creating a website and start advertising and all of those things that I might not have been able to do should we, if I'd have carried on trying to do the photography business at the same time. Um, but you actually, you, you mentioned about the name. I'm guessing it's Black something, Black Panther, Black... Ah, they say Kuroi. I'm going, I'm going for the Japanese names. Kuro is uh, Black. I, can, I don't know what it is, but... Uh... Ah, no. Kuroitin <laughs> is a creature. So a Kuroitin, the English word for Kuroitin is Sable, which is my maiden name. Oh, but okay. a Sable or Kuroitin, it's like a, uh, a weaselly type creature. Okay. It lives in various parts, various countries, but it also lives in Japan, and the Japanese version is called Kuroitin. It's very small, it looks really cute, which people tend to say, yeah, you're small and cute, how can you do that? Um, but 
it's room territorial, it's a brilliant fighter, um, but the reason that it manages to do those things is because it has other skills. So it's yeah. really quick thinking, um, it can move really well, it has all these different skills that enable it to be able to take down um, prey, prey that's much, much bigger than itself. So I thought, well, that's me. I really, and when I teach, say, my, my junior class, um, my, my infants, uh, four to six year olds, and my juniors are seven to 12, I call them the creating cubs. And I've got a big picture of the creating, and we hold it up and we talk about these things and we talk about the fact, okay, they're small, but that doesn't mean that, you know, we can't be quick thinking. We don't always, if you don't have to fight, you know, there are other ways, and you can do all of these things to avoid a fight. Um, but when you need to, you can do it. It doesn't matter that you're small. So I really like those attributes and it meant something because it was my maiden name as well. Uh, I liked it. It was personal to me. And that and then my little creating picture on my back. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's, uh, I really like it. I really like it. Um, coming back to the female uh, instructors, what do you think are the biggest obstacles and holdbacks uh, for women uh, we, we spoke about it a little bit, but why do you think there's so little of uh, female instructors running the club? Um, I think, to be honest, it's because women tend to drop out of martial arts before they they get to that level, or they dip in and out. So, for example, at the moment, I've been speaking to a lot of people um, sort of recruiting for my adult club, and quite a few women have said to me, I trained when I was a child, and I, you know, I got to a brown belt, or I trained for five years, and I was like, why did you stop? Well, we stopped when we were a teenager, because of the white bees, mm. and, you know, once a month, we don't want to be wearing white bees, and that's a massive, massive thing at that age. I don't know if you've noticed this, but you will lose a lot of girls around teenage years for that reason. So the first thing that I did was like, everyone's wearing black. We're all wearing black bees, it's practical. <laughs> it takes it away. A lot of... A lot of t-shirts, you know, club t-shirts tend to be white. What happens to white t-shirts when you get hot and sweaty? They go see-through. Yeah. Guys don't mind that. Women do. So you, you, so you lose a load at teenage level. If you keep them from teenage level, sometimes you lose, you lose students anyway when they go off to university. Mm. If you don't lose them and you manage to retain them, and, you know, and they can get past the fact that they're doing something where they might get bruised and it's not seen as attractive and girly to, to other people, then when it comes to them having children, um, they're pregnant, they think, oh, I mustn't train. And they, they, if they're not in a, a club with a supportive instructor, perhaps they, they might stop. And then once they've got a baby, um, it's, well, okay, I, I can't fit this in. Or there is no on maternity leave for a year. They don't have enough, enough money to fund it. So they tend to stop then to lose a load. Um, and then as well, um, when they've got children, sometimes you get women come back when they've got kids, but then once the kids stop training, they stop training, because yeah. it just seems to be, I don't know why, but in society it seems to be the, the women, if you're, if they're, if they're mum, not all women are, but if you are a mum, you end up putting yourself last, so everybody else goes first, um, yeah. so for the time you're like, well, is there any money left at the end of the month, or is there any time for me to do this, and it tends not to be, um, so I think that if you can manage to retain those students, if you can do things like be understanding to teenagers and women about, you know, do they really have to wear a white gear? Is it really going to affect their training? Because it's a massive thing for women. Okay, let them wear black. Understand if they're late for class. They can't always help it. 
and just not make a big thing of it. It's like, okay, yeah, it's fine. I'd rather you be here and be a little bit late because you've had all this stuff happen or let them train when they're pregnant. Understand they want to bring the baby to the class and the baby's in the plan and it's all safe, you know, and you're with all your risk assessment and everything. Why not? Give them the opportunity because they're the things. If, if women could continue training, then I think there'd be loads more instructors that are being mm-hmm. out. It's just because they end up dropping out of martial arts. Uh, and then also giving women an opportunity to teach. Um, sometimes women won't be the most confident, but it's building up their self-esteem and their self-confidence and saying, you can do this, can you teach this group and build them up? Just like the male students, um, and obviously there may be male students that might not have enough confidence. But in my experience, I've found that, you know, sometimes the male will be, oh yeah, 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 I'm fine, but sometimes women might need a little bit more, not always. Um, but they're just my observations from what I've seen over the last 20 odd years. Yeah, so definitely. Uh, my, my, my wife was training, but since we got children, nearly four years, she didn't have time or energy or a will to go. Uh, so I, I kind of see what you mean. And uh, But for me as well, it was much harder to, uh, it's harder to do anything because they are so demanding that uh, you just don't have energy to do stuff what you want. Um, and on the black geese, well, I'm, I'm my, I don't teach children or teenagers, I only teach adults, so I never had a request to wear black geese, so I bought that one, so I brought, brought the black geese, I judging it crazy, all the dust speckles you can see on them, and wear the white beard, it just drives me crazy. <laughs> but, <laughs> but would you, if you had the opportunity? If you gave women, or gave anyone the opportunity to say, look, if you want to wear black with your female, just if you were to float the idea, it'd be really interesting to see if you said to them, if you had the opportunity to wear, they might not think it's an option, but if you said to your all the, all the students, but especially women, would you like it? Would you like to wear black gear? It would be really, it maybe might be something worth just asking. Um, because if you're male, they might not feel they can talk to you about that. Um, but if you gave them the option, Okay, you do get the white speckles, but you know what? I'd rather have white speckles than other speckles on my white trousers. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, um, from that perspective. <laughs> I'm, I'm not arguing at that point. I'm just saying that what drives me. So now my, my policy in my club is that everybody can wear what they want. Um, there's no restriction. If, if we can have either you have a gi or you don't have a gi, you can try in, in T-shirt, jumper, whatever, whatever makes you happy. Um, because for example, I've got the people, person who has got MS, so for him it's very difficult to change, so he just comes in regular clothing and there's no problem with that, so comfortable clothing. I'm not uh, traditional, that people have to be all white and no badges, no stuff, t-shirts under, so yeah, I think it's just crazy. Yeah, it, it training matters, not how you look. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all <laughs> <laughs> I've always been like that's that. Okay. Always people been complaining that I'm not traditional enough, but I hope that's the way I am. So, bringing us traditional, modern, I'm guessing you're from the tribe, you're from the Ian's uh, kind of house. Um, you are very traditional or more modernistic in approach to the training? Sorry, you broke up again and I caught the last bit. What did you say? My connection's not great. What was the last little bit? I'm asking if you are on the traditional training side or on the modernistic approach to training. So, parts, stuff, modern science. 
Um, probably, I'm a mixture. So when I teach kata, I, I teach it probably in the way that Wadaru would, would teach it, uh, with maybe the odd bit of Shotokan thrown in because it mixes in sometimes. But um, when I'm looking at stuff and thinking about the practicalities of it, I'd much rather look at what works for that body and for that person. Um, as I say, I want to make the karate fit the person, not the person fit karate, because it needs to work for them. What works for me isn't going to work for you, isn't going to work for the next person. You need to, and I'm, I'm like, your foot doesn't have to be exactly this far from the floor and exactly here, roughly, but I think everybody's individual and we need to recognise that and we need to recognise everybody's strengths um, and, and work out what works for them. And I'm, I'm really open to learning new ideas. Um, I'm quite happy on saying learning different styles, doing quite a bit of work with Jamie Club and looking at that completely different styles uh -huh. and more mixed martial arts. There's something that we can learn from everything and I don't want to be too focused and I've got to teach it this way. We really want to be open-minded and, and learn and give everybody that, you know, that opportunity to make it work for them, really. Yeah. Um, what's uh, been the most inspirational person in your journey? Oh, um, you can just so, feel, you can just feel. I know one is very, <laughs> very, very limiting. <laughs> um, I would say, well, to start with, obviously, I followed, you know, I followed like in my mum and dad's footsteps. So to start with, it was, it was my dad. I was like, he was training with uh, Tiki Donovan and people like that. So I was like, oh, okay. Um, and then after that, obviously, I went down the Wado world. So. Um, as a, a young martial artist, I was looking at Sensei Suzuki, thinking, wow, if this guy took Wadaroo all through Europe and America, and I, I was interested in him. And then, of course, Sensei Ogami, because of the, uh, the books that he wrote, I thought this is interesting. And then I would say Ian Abernethy. I, I saw his videos, and I was just like, wow, this just makes so much sense. And following and pursuing that now, um, so I guess it, it sort of changed with me as my journey's changed. I, I've, I've looked at other people and thought, okay, I, I want to understand more of what you do. And, uh, and that, that's where I'm at now, really. Um, in, uh, you mentioned books. Favourite karate books? Oh, favourite. Well, Anxious Black Belt is a brilliant <laughs> book. Have you read it? Excellent, excellent answer. Excellent. <laughs> really good books now. <laughs> It is, it's a very good, it, that was very close to my heart. I suffer from anxiety myself, and I really heard you in that. I was, yeah, I hear you. I, I, I'm there, I, I did understand. And yeah, I completely got you. So well done, that, that was brilliant. Thank you. Um, <laughs> that was brilliant. Um, at the moment, I'm using uh, Gift of Fear, um, which is really interesting. Yeah, really different take on it. Um, and I have a whole collection. I recently had a birthday and I said, I, you know, I hadn't got many martial arts books. Again, we had the whole mom thing. I didn't have yeah. an income. So my birthday list this year, I actually had a birthday list. I gave it to my husband and it just included the books. So <laughs> I have a, a whole load of books that I'm looking forward to, to reading. Um, yeah, that, that's kind of, uh, that, that's my goal. It doesn't happen often. We're trying to look after two children and run a home and start a martial arts business and train. But um, yeah, I, I will work my way through them and I will, I will get there. Um, 
you say uh, uh, running the club. What's the future plans for the club? Where are you going to take it? Okay, so my next plan, uh, at the moment I'm full. I've got three lessons, an infant, a junior, and a senior adult class. I can only take A to the lesson due to the social distancing. I have a waiting list for every club, class, which is amazing. Um, my plan is in January to open a daytime class for adults. I've had quite a few mums say to me, we're at home, would like to do something during the day. So I'm hoping, it won't just be for mums, it'll be for any adult. Um, I'm hoping to open a home. We've got uh, quite a few children in the area who are homeschooled, so I'm looking at putting something on for them. Um, obviously, I want to grow and expand and build more um, sort of the standard club. I'm hoping in the future to look at maybe having a preschool crafty skills-based class. Obviously, just to, obviously it will feed into the club, but it's another way of recruiting adults and getting them feel com feeling comfortable within that environment, getting them to know me, getting the whole family involved. And so you won't just be more of a skills-based thing, but I might look at that. And from a personal perspective, I really want to learn more about self-protection, and I'd really like to teach that. And the fact that I'm a female instructor, sometimes that can be appealing to other women and being able to say, look, I, I can teach you this. If you don't feel confident enough going with a male instructor, then, or some men might not. So I have had guys say to me they feel more comfortable training with me because they haven't got that whole macho thing. It's... Mm -hmm. It is what it is. And I take the mickey out of myself all the time. You know, I'm small. It's fine. <laughs> and no, it just, yeah, okay, it doesn't matter. Um, so, yeah, self-protection is something I really would like to study and, and build upon. I've got a, a smaller, I've got a, a knowledge, obviously, I've built up with things that I thought worked. But now, as I'm at this stage with my martial arts journey, I'm like, actually, I'm not so sure that it necessarily they would work, but it's learning that and, and completely re-evaluating it. And also thinking as well, how many classes have you been in where they talk about self-protection from a male point of view, from like this sucker punch? Well, not many women experience this, we experience it in different ways. And I really like, and I'm looking into, well, how do women experience violence? And those are the skills that we need to be teaching, and male and female is different. So that's something I'm, I'm hoping to do more of next year. Mm. That's what I like in my club, that uh, I've got a few, few girls training with us um, who always put their own spin on it, because what I think would happen to the woman is not necessarily what the woman is experiencing, if that makes that makes sense. No, because you, you wouldn't know, because you've not been in that perspective. Like, I've not been in your perspective, and you, you would experience things different to me. I'd be like, really? I've not done that. So it's just uh, it's just learning. Um, oh, I'll, I'll give you an example. So my first adult class, I talked to them about reading body language as part of the thing at the end. And uh, I said I said to them that I wanted them just to punch in the air when they saw some sort of aggressive body language. So I pulled my shoulders back, stuck my chest out, and all the guys instantly had just aggressive. The women didn't. The women didn't react. So then I leant on the chair and was just like this and just sort of brought my hand up and all the women reacted. Uh, oh. And it was just the body language of, of a guy sort of comes in, sort of a sleazy hand comes around. And the guys were like, well, why was that aggressive? And it was, it was so interesting to get that perspective is the reason okay. body language, how it affects us. That's an example, uh, excellent example. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> it's just different and again I'm not a guy so guys will say to me oh this happens I'm like, oh, okay they will work with that 
Uh, no. uh, tell me where people can find you. More information about your club, where they can sign up or chat with okay. you. So um, I have a Facebook page, Creating Practical Crafting, um, and I also have an Instagram account. I am working on the website. It is coming. <laughs> it is getting there. <laughs> I also had other things this week, like uh, evacuation day for my son and other things that I'm also <laughs> juggling around. <laughs> he needs a costume and all of this other stuff that you're oh, doing, yeah. like all of us at the same time. The website's getting there. Um, and it will be there, but uh, at the moment, Facebook and Instagram, creating practical quality. Um, I'd love to hear from people. I'm going to put the links in the description below as well. Um, it was a pleasure talking to you, Tracy. Thank uh, you. I'm wishing you all the, all the best, and I love your name and the uh, and, uh, logo. Thank you very much. It was lovely to talk to you. Hello and welcome to Accidental Podcast or something like that. I'm Les Bubka, and in this episode I'll be talking to Tracy Radley, mother, martial artist, owner of Kuroten Practical Karate Club. Our conversation will be revolving around Tracy's martial art journey, how did she get involved in karate, how did she get to be a practical karate instructor, and how did she manage to successfully open a club in the middle of pandemic. We're also going to talk about uh, mental health, inclusion and disability training. A big chunk of our conversation is female viewpoint on martial arts. The obstacle that ladies face and how we can overcome them and what we as a male uh, instructors can uh, do to help improve image of karate and experience of our students. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation with Tracy. I hope you're going to find it interesting. If you would like to uh, be updated with all our new podcasts, please subscribe. If you would like to hear from me about new projects, new offers and training opportunities, please subscribe to our newsletter. You can do that at www.lesbubka.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.